The Holy Gospel recorded in St. Luke chapter 10. Glory to you, O Lord. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you for whatever you spend. Which of, the, which of these three, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Maker and our Redeemer. Amen. So, one day, Luke chapter 10 says, Jesus is with a crowd of people when a lawyer, and this is not a lawyer like the one who, you know, drew up your will or something. This is a lawyer as an expert in Bible laws. One day, Luke says, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. It's not clear whether this is a sincere question from someone who really wants to know and maybe evaluate, maybe give a passing or failing grade to what Jesus knows, or if this, as we see in some other cases in Scripture, is somebody trying to trick, trip Jesus up with a trick question. I don't think that's the case here. I think this exchange is pretty straightforward and respectful. But it is a test. The reason being, because as a biblical lawyer, this guy was all over and all about the Bible's laws, the Bible's rules, the Bible's do's and don'ts. And the thing about Jesus, at least according to the local scuttlebutt that he'd been hearing, is that sometimes he didn't necessarily follow all of the rules. And lots of times, people said anyway, he didn't even necessarily judge people, but rather actually seemed to kind of love people, even if they'd broken some of the big-time Bible rules, and lawyer, biblical lawyers who understood the rules to be the most important thing in the whole Bible, when they saw this or heard about this and heard about the crowds he was attracting, they weren't sure whether to call him misunderstood, misinformed, mistaken, or dangerous. So one day, Luke 10 says, one of those rabbis went to get that question answered by asking Jesus a test question. And the test question was, teacher, rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This could actually be a sincere question. We aren't told. 
We aren't told why Jesus also doesn't deal now with a really big picture point that he will deal with down the road, that being the fact that eternal life isn't going to be about what you do, but about what Jesus has come to do for you. But Jesus doesn't say that now. For now, he takes the man at face value. And being a rabbi, he uses a teaching method that rabbis often did, and that is to respond to a question with a question of his own. An old joke, a guy says to a rabbi, why do you always ask, answer a question with a question? The rabbi says, why do you ask? So, too, Rabbi Jesus answers the lawyer's question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, with this question, what does the law say you must do, Mr. Lawyer? And the lawyer answers, you shall love the, lo the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that was the right answer. And Jesus tells the man that. He says, bingo, do this and you will live. Notice in the response we hear, and this is something we've pointed out before, that inheriting the kingdom of heaven is not just about going to a place called heaven someday, although this is included in that. It's also about living according to the ways and means and value of heaven right here and now every day. And that part, I think, is surely included when Jesus says, you're absolutely right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And not only just in heaven someday, but also right here and now every day, you will live fully and truly for loving God and loving others is living life the way God created you to live. So they agree, end of conversation. Well, not quite, right? Because this is a lawyer who knows how to think about the multitudes of legal implications of even the simplest laws. And these two simple laws th thought through to their le legal implications, which, by the way, he's done this thinking before. This is not his first time on this playing field. This is his home field, the Bible's laws. And so he realizes that given that this question is, what must I do? His question is, what must I do to live the life God wants me to live here and now and to have the life I want to have hereafter? He realizes that he's going to have to define some terms. He's going to have to maybe reel things in a little bit or this isn't going to be doable. Part of the especially thinks really needs some reeling in and fine-tuning and pulling back is that part about loving your neighbor. Because, I mean, everybody knows loving your neighbor is a fine as far as it goes. But, you know, how far does it go? Or as the lawyer puts it, who is my neighbor? Although I'm pretty sure what he's really asking is, is not who is my neighbor, but who isn't. <laughs> not who must I love, but who do I not have to love? He's looking for loopholes. Because what he reasons is that without a little legal clarification, this whole love your neighbor thing can be taken way too far. Taken to places you don't want to go and to things you don't want to do, maybe even things you maybe can't do. Which, of course, for this lawyer was a terrible problem because remember his initial question. He's trying to do what he has to do in order to live now and in heaven when the time comes. So as Luke puts it, and this word is very telling, wanting to justify himself, wanting to find some loopholes so that what Jesus told him to do is actually doable, after Jesus says, love your neighbor, he says, of course, yes, right. 
but who is my neighbor? And that's what leads to the story that we've come to call the story of the Good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest, a church type, a religious type, was going down that road and we saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, another church type, another religious type, when he saw him, passed by on the other side. But on, then a Samaritan, pause, My goodness, people's heads turned at this point, you can be sure. One commentator I read this week observed that societies in biblical times were very tribal. You identify with your people, your kind, your relatives and friends whose skin was the same color as yours, whose language was the same language as yours, whose creeds were the same creeds as yours, and probably whose politics and patriotism were the same politics and patriotism as yours. And one thing an Orthodox Jew knew is that Samaritans passed none of those tests and they were not part of our tribe. I'm of the conviction that the world in recent years has been recommitting to that worldview. We maybe don't call them tribes, but we seem to be as tribal as ever both by instinct and by habit. We most of us are comfortable with and usually care most about people who are our tribe because they are like us. And so heads absolutely did turn, I'm sure of it, when the two good guys, members of the tribe, seemingly didn't pass the love your neighbor test and then enters an absolutely despised non-member of the tribe. And I think there's a good chance that when he mentioned this word Samaritan more than one person who took notice did so thinking he is surely not going to go there. But he went there. For the Samaritan, Jesus said, and by the way, you don't know any Samaritans, so why don't you substitute someone who's not from your tribe? someone you don't like. And truth be told, you really don't want to. When they, Jesus said, that Samaritan then and your Samaritan now, when they came down the road and saw the man lying in the ditch, bloodied and half dead, they were moved with pity. The Greek word here is the word splachnizomai, the first part of which, splachna, means internal organs, your bowels, your guts. If, if you know what onopia is, this is a great example, right? Um, onomatopoeia, I mean, what better word for guts is there than splachna? <laughs> <laughs> so what splachnizomai literally means is to be moved so deeply by something that you feel it in your guts. This is not someone saying, hmm, I wonder if perhaps I should do something. This is something going, oh, I have to do something. So they, that Samaritan then and your Samaritan now, went to him and bandaged his wounds even though they didn't have any gloves. Yuck! Then they put him in their own car, on their own back seat, and it was leather and they got blood on it. How are they going to get that out? Then they took him to the next exit on the interstate where there was a hotel and they got a room and the two of them shared it. And they stayed up most all night taking care of him and even cleaned up when he threw up because I think he had a concussion. Then the next day they, 
That Samaritan and your Samaritan now went to the front desk, gave their Capital One card to the lady working there and said, please make sure he has everything he needs. I'll be back in a few days and when I get back, I'll make sure you are reimbursed for everything you spent and there'll also be a little something for you and your time and trouble. And that's the parable, the story. But then remember how Jesus a lot of times responded to a question with a question. Well, now Jesus ends his story with a question. It's a test question of his own. And it's the lawyer's own question handed back to him, kind of. Because Jesus takes the lawyer's own question, flips it kind of inside out, and then gives it back to him. Because the lawyer, remember, had asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Meaning, who isn't my neighbor? Meaning, who do I not have to love? But now Jesus, after his story, turned things from who is my neighbor whom I must love to who in this story I just told you was a neighbor to the one who needed loving. The poor guy sputtered a bit because he couldn't even make him say the words, couldn't even say it. So he said the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, there you go. Do the same thing. End of story. Question, where in hearing this story are you the one you find yourself hearing about? Are you the lawyer? The one testing God and trying to keep God's desires reeled in and fenced in just to kind of one little area of your life or trying to keep certain people or certain types of people or groups of people fenced out? Then this story addresses you by breaking down some fences. Or are you the priest or the Levite? in the story, known by all as a very religious person, but known by few, and known by none beyond your tribe, as someone who ever gave them a hand. Then this story addresses you by saying it's maybe it's time you got your hands a little dirty, or even a little bloody, doing something Jesus would do. Or are you in this story the one who's wounded? and hurting, and beat up, and beat down. And now on the side of the road, and other people turn away and walk away by pretending they don't see you. Then this story tells me to tell you that Jesus sees you, and he doesn't walk by, and you are part of his story. Speaking of Jesus, where in this story do you see him? I know, he's the teller of the story. But is he anywhere in the story? Is there anywhere in this mostly familiar story to many of us that we read and we hear and what we're actually reading about and hearing about is him? I think of two places at least. The first, this story surely calls all of us in the direction of being the Good Samaritan. But of course all of us who are honest know that we fall short of that mark. We've walked by a lot of hurt in our days. Some of it we never even saw. Some of it we did see. And we walked on by anyway. And we can grow. We're called to grow, but we haven't and we will not grow to perfection. 
Jesus, on the other hand, is perfectly the Good Samaritan. There's not a hurt he doesn't notice in this world. There's not a ditch deep enough or a fence tall enough to keep him from those who are hurting and whom he loves and will keep loving, even if loving does mean getting his hands dirtied or even bloodied, which it will. Which leads to the second place I see Jesus in this story. Remember how the lawyer's question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the answer he gave to his own question was, you must love God with everything you've got and everything you are and everything you think and everything you feel, and you must love others every bit as much as you love yourself. It is the right answer. It's just not an answer that's going to get any of us to heaven. Because why? Because honesty again. We none of us are that good at loving God and loving other people. The world isn't that good at loving God and loving other people, which is why when love that was that good, when love that was perfect wrapped itself in the flesh and blood of a real man who was the real human God created us to be, the world, preferring our rules, preferring our self-justifications, our rationalizations, and our fences, hated perfect love and nailed it to a cross to be rid of it. Which is the second place I see Jesus in the story. I see him as the man at the side of the road, the one surrounded by sinners, stripped, beaten, left beside the road to die, while religion Priests and Levites, seeing him, not only walked right on by, they walked right on by, mocking him. They didn't see, nobody saw, that he left there to die wasn't a victim. They didn't see, do you see, that he, dying, would love God and you and them and all people to hell and back if that's what it took, which it did, and he did, and ours are the wounds that are healed. Amen.